This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, July 11th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Supplements that aren't approved by the FDA often simply need to say so, and then, and this is very important, not make specific health claims. But the public doesn't understand it that way, at least according to recent polling. It's a bit of a catch-22 for regulators, consumers, and for trust in markets. Peter Van Doren, editor of Regulation Magazine, discusses how we got here. This is from the Lexington uh, Herald-Leader. Uh, an Amish man was sentenced Friday to six years in prison for obstructing a federal agency and for making and selling herbal health products that were not adequately labeled as required by federal law. His name is uh, Sam Gerard, and uh, he will be going to prison for six years, uh, as, as far as we know. Um, but leaving aside some of the facts surrounding his case, uh, the issue that either stymied him or uh, was the avenue through which the government was able to act was essentially labeling and making claims about products. So how does the federal government right now uh, demand that products either have their claims validated or make no specific claims about what a product can do for you? The law that everyone needs to understand that governs this dividing line is the 1994 Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act. It governs all the things that are sold in supermarkets and health stores that are not prescription drugs, but usually are thought of by the public as natural herbs and and nutritional supplements and vitamins and things like that. The um, My sense is that the public, and I have public opinion data to back this up, that the public is unaware that the, uh, the things they buy that are not prescription, it's relatively laissez-faire in that all that is governed by this law is what is or is not said about the product, but extraordinarily little goes into actually uh, testing and or uh, uh, knowing what's going on with the product, but what the law says is what's said about the product is extremely important. So if you're producing uh, a plant and extracting something from that plant, there's no there's you don't own it. You don't own the formula because it's just a it's chemicals from a plant. So it seems that it would be uh, a huge waste of resources to engage in some sort of battery of testing to find out whether or not this plant actually does the things that some people think it does because if it comes out that, oh, it, it is, it's true, it does all these wonderful things, well, th- those benefits don't accrue exclusively to you, do they? They accrue to whoever produces the product. What you've pointed out actually is very interesting and this is the heart of, of part of economics which is pu- the, that knowledge has public good aspects to it which is it's difficult to restrict knowledge and information to those who produce it. And thus, in, in effect, the prescription system and the FDA can be seen as a series of legal entry barriers that allow the production of knowledge for certain substances to be then amortized over the sale of that substance because the FDA restricts uh, entry and all other substitutes for that because it you can't say this is a prescription drug unless um, the, it's been deregulated and become generic. So for the first so many years of 
a prescription drug being on the market, the person, the entity that developed the knowledge through clinical trials about what this drug does or doesn't do, in effect, all that spending, all the knowledge is, is recovered through the monopoly period granted by the FDA. But for the natural products that we see in the supermarket, there are no such entry restrictions and thus the, uh, the, the, the vendor doesn't uh, – it would be difficult for them to recoup the costs of running a clinical trial about what uh, the, the plant does or doesn't do. And, that, and that's not just because of uh, other producers freely entering the market for the product that you're selling but also that there are these huge hurdles at the FDA for if you're seeking approval – uh, that there are s several opportunities for failure of your drug to meet that approval. Oh, yeah. I mean, the phase one, phase two, and phase three trials are required. The phase one for safety, phase two for efficacy, and then phase three is even bigger uh, a number of, of, of testees for uh, efficacy. And all of that's very expensive. The actual manufacturing costs of most what are called chemical pharmaceuticals, not the new biologics, but the traditional chemistry uh, kinds of drugs. Those costs are actually quite low, but it's the R&D of discovering those things and running the clinical trials that's expensive. For these natural products, uh, the 1994 law is very, very specific. It says you can't lie. You can't claim to cure a specific disease. You can make general health claims that the product, and I'm quoting here from the law, supports the help health of a body part, which is a very odd phrase legally. Um, in effect, you cannot say that a product reduces cholesterol or cures a disease, but you can say that a product maintains healthy cholesterol levels. Now, even though you've actually done no research to see whether that is true or not, um, the Harris Poll reveals that most people believe that if a supplement is on the market, that the government must have approved it and that data are required for claims and that warnings are required. None of that is true. So in that sense, the 1994 Act is rather laissez-faire. It just says, buyer beware. There's all this uh, stuff on the market. And all that the vendor has to put on these products, which apparently the Amish subject that you described earlier refused to do, is all you have to say is on the product is the following. This statement, whatever it is you've said about general health, this statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. That's all you have to say, and that's on everything that's sold in the supermarket uh, or these nutrition stores. And it may not be in the biggest print, but it's on every label. And it basically says, I mean, if consumers read these things, it says... We don't really know anything about what's inside. Well, we know what's inside this, but we have no idea whether it does any good for you or not. End of story. The fact that Americans remain ignorant of uh, these facts, it seems to go to the heart of why we have these agencies to begin with. Is that the, the, the agencies are supposed to be uh, giving people better information. The assumption, as you point out, is that People just assume if, if they're selling it to me, they couldn't just sell it to me if it, if it hadn't gone through some sort of rigorous process. Because we've grown up, it's been 80 years since the New Deal, right? Or, well, 70, some odd years, 80. And 
three generations have grown up thinking that if something is sold, they learn in high school that uh, laissez-faire ended with the New Deal, right? We used to have a horrific market society where labor could work thousands of hours and not be compensated, and then the government said X, and then same thing. There were things sold that killed people, and now the government prevents that from happening. And so the kind of assumption, and because markets have so many products, and most of us don't know much about them, uh, we only know our little tiny part of what we do and, and what we know about in the world, um, most middle class, most Americans, as the public opinion data show, because of that culture, they think everything for sale has in fact been tested and approved by the government or some authority. And in fact, that is not true at all. And to go back to a world where everyone worried more about things, um, we'd have to roll back the state in a way that the Cato's been trying for years and get more people to realize that you are more on your own. Now, that sounds horrible, right? It's a horrible marketing message for us to argue you're more on your own. But what I believe sincerely is that in such a world, corporations would actually have to do more to win our trust, to win our willingness to use the product because we're, we should be rightly scared of everyone like that statement. The statement on the label is true. <laughs> Whatever's in here hasn't been tested for anything. And... I mean, it's what, a billion? I, I don't know what the revenues are, but it's billions of dollars a year Americans spend on these things. And the article you read, I just said, oh, my goodness. So the, the, the hand of the state didn't go after any of these companies because they're adhering to the letter of this 1994 law. But the poor Amish farmer who's independent, who didn't hire a lawyer, who wanted to do what he wanted to do. And because he's Amish, right, the signaling, I mean, it's not a corporate, so people know that this seller hasn't done any research. Right. It's more obvious than it is in other cases that there there has not been phase one, phase two, phase three. There's testing. no slick marketing campaign at the, at, at the in the aisle of your supermarket. This was a, a a farmer with a long beard and a straw hat selling things out of his house and in, in a farmer's market on a Saturday, and therefore. You can't argue that consumers probably are somehow lulled into thinking of. Um, that this was FDA approved for X or Y or Z because you couldn't possibly infer that from this. So the fact that the prosecution went after this guy just strikes me as um, a very odd use of pro prosecutorial resources. And, you, know, you and I have talked about this before. If the FDA or regulators dealing with food or chemicals or supplements were doing the job that Americans apparently think that they're doing, we would have to spend – many times more than we spend right now. It's expensive to figure things out. But the problem is with spending the current level that we are right now, all we get is the imagined benefits of having spent lots more money, right? <laughs> yeah, in an odd way. I mean, we do get benefits from the trials for prescription drugs. We learn things. But um, sometimes many of the things we learn, oddly enough, are never published because so much of the research done by pharmaceutical companies comes up with negative results. It never reaches the public literature, which is, from my point of view, uh, who's someone who cares about knowledge, sad. And I think even Cato listeners would agree that um, negative knowledge is important just as positive knowledge. So the, the fact that that isn't published under the current system because there's no incentive to do so is sad. 
But then there's this whole class of things in the supermarket about which we know extraordinarily little. The current regulatory apparatus seems to, uh, if anything, anesthetize consumers against being more suspicious. Yes, yes. I mean, culturally, um, as I said, the public opinion day to say, if if I were to, if you and I were to sit in Whole Foods on a Saturday and ask everyone, have you read this little statement on the label of the thing you're buying, which is, uh, which says, <laughs> we we don't know anything about what's inside this other than the ingredients, but we don't know whether it uh, helps your health or not. If would if we ask most people that purchase these products, uh, I think we'd find that they think, oh, there's evidence that this stuff really helps. And they don't like pharmaceutical companies. And they think that the purchase of these natural, whatever they are, is somehow better um, than using something that a gigantic corporation produces. There are just a couple of examples where a publicly available chemical, one that is not owned by some uh, corporation uh, or uh, Pfizer or some someone like that, um, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies or MAPS has paid for phase one, phase two, and I believe they will be paying for phase three trials of MDMA, uh, otherwise known as ecstasy, in treating PTSD. And that seems that's well. That's also you have the twin problem there of one. This is a, a Schedule One drug. And so it's prohibited to even possess it, uh, but you have an, uh, a private firm that is willing to spend money to prove its value to for some specific condition. That seems vanishingly rare. Uh, in fact, the prescription drug uh, program we're talking about here, that, that's the, the same law set up the uh, class three is prescription and class one and two are what we call restricted narcotics of, and drugs of various sorts, including the MDMA that you mentioned. And for honest researchers who want to actually figure out what psychedelic things do or do not do for people and what uh, opioids and things do or do not do for people and marijuana, research is very difficult to do because there's just a cloud over any investigations regarding these substances and uh, the trial you described probably um, the, the lawyers for that company are very, 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 very active, I would assume, in making sure uh, they're not subject to government harassment over this research. Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine and is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>